You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. Go Wild has recently partnered with Mountain Tough for a free 30-day workout program designed to get you in shape for turkey season called the Go Wild Challenge. Download Go Wild to sign up and let everyone know in a Go Wild post that you're joining us. Then, each time you do a workout, tag Go Wild and Mountain Tough to hold yourself accountable. Also, Go Wild will be attending the Great American Outdoor Show February 4th through the 12th. If you're in the area, stop by booth 412, meet the guys, and learn all about Go Wild. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. All right, guys. Welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is Will Boyle. Now, Will is a guy who has hunted vastly different areas in the past few years from Texas and Louisiana all the way up to Pennsylvania. And he had to learn some new techniques and strategies. Growing up in Pennsylvania, high pressure, big woods, it's totally different than hunting the heat in the south and different rutting times, different topography, different uh, forest density and foliage cover. And so I'm really excited to hear from him what it is that he implemented to help him be successful in both places and how he is going about and pursuing chasing after whitetails now that he's back home in his home state of Pennsylvania. So let's jump into this episode with Will. Like he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show and joining me on the show today, I've got Will Boyle. Now, Will is uh, a serviceman from Pennsylvania originally, spent some time in the South, and I'm excited to hear what switching states and switching uh, hunting strategy and style kind of paid off for him because, um, yeah, hunting Pennsylvania versus Louisiana has to be a pretty big, has to be a pretty big shift. So, Will, thanks for hopping on with me, man. Hey, thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Uh, for those that don't know who you are, why don't you share with them a little bit about yourself, maybe your history, what you do, or how you got into hunting? All right. Well, uh, I guess where we'll start is is what I do for a living. Um, 
I'm a, I'm a fireman by trade. I've been a fireman for as long as I can remember, even before I was allowed to be. Uh, I was exposed to it at a very, very young age and uh, was brought up in the firehouse. Uh, started started as a volunteer uh, whenever I was 16. Um, like like Dan man, man, uh, mentioned there, I was I was born and raised in central Pennsylvania, a little little known city of Dubois. And uh, from there, I uh, left left there my high school end of, end of my high school year uh, to go to the military. I, I enlisted for the, in the Air Force and did a five year stint there as a fireman, <laughs> and then uh, realized that that wasn't something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I realized that you know, though though the Air Force affords a, a good quality of life for its people, it was it was not a life that I wanted to to keep pursuing. So was looking at my options and, you know, had a couple close friends that were civilians, uh, for, for the government, but, you know, we're still firemen. And, uh, so I started applying to different places, military installations that had their own fire department. And as it turned out, out of 18 different places I applied to, uh, the one I got was an hour from where I grew up. <laughs> so I'm back in Pennsylvania. I worked for, uh, the VA Butler healthcare system as a firefighter. We have our own fire department and I absolutely love what I do. Um, the, the, the three things that make me tick are my family, uh, firefighting and, and hunting. And, and those are in no particular order. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, it's like I said, it's, it's what I do. I, I love doing it. Um, and when I'm not at the fire station at work, I'm either in the woods or at least with family. So, uh, that's what makes me tick. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. Uh, so going into the military, did you intend on going in as a as a firefighter? Or did you find yeah, find out like, hey, I can pursue this also? Well, it, it, it became an option. I you know, I wanted to do the the firefighting thing as a you know, as a as a paid career firefighter. Uh, yeah. and in, in my area there there isn't a lot of avenues for that. I mean, sure we have Pittsburgh and, and we have you know, Philadelphia way out east, but, you know, there was only small towns that would have very, very, very small fire departments. And, and I quickly realized that it would be very hard for me to try to get into one of those departments. There's always a selection process and, you know, not to, not to cry about it, but, you know, a lot of people know they don't pay guys enough money to go running into burning buildings, especially yeah. you know, on the civilian side. Um, and so, I realized that I had an option of, of going to the military and trying to be a fireman. And of course the air force was the best bet for that. They have the biggest uh, fire protection uh, branch of, of, of their, their organization. And I started doing a little bit more research. I ended up going to the recruiter's office and basically told him, look, it's a firefighting contract or nothing. And he says, well, we, 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 we don't do it that way. That's not how this goes. You know, you, you, you go through the medical process, you get cleared, and then we put your contract out for out for bid. Essentially, it's almost like a draft. The way the recruiters do it, you make up a list of jobs you want, and they try to get you the highest one on your list. And I said, "Look, I said it's either going to be a firefighting contract or I'm walking out the door." And uh, he made it happen. I I told him, I said, "I'm not signing anything until it says firefighter on on my contract." And he made it happen. And so. I graduated in June of, of 2016 and September of 2016, I, I left Dubois and you know, that was the first real big 
you know, out of state. I mean, I'd, you know, been on vacation in multiple states, but I'd never really been away from home per se. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I went all the way down to Texas, did basic training in, in tech school and spent, spent the first hunting season away from home in, uh, San Angelo, Texas, out in Goodfellow Air Force Base, way out in West Texas. And, it was funny because, you know, my, my dad and brother sending me trail camera pictures and, you know, they, of course they were hunting and, and I'm looking at all the tame deer on the base that are, that are walking <laughs> down the, the sidewalks and everything between the dormitories, you know, and there wasn't a thing I could do about it. But, uh, no, and like I said, it, it was a good stepping stone for me. It, it gave me a lot of certifications I have today, um, you know, taught me how to be a career firefighter and made the transition over to civilian life that much easier. I mean, I, I do the same job today that I do in the air that I did in the air force, um, minus the aircraft. <laughs> we don't have any airplanes down here in Butler, but, um, you know, I, I do the same job. I just wear a different uniform. Uh, most of our guys are ex military and, uh, you know, we still get to serve as a part of the government, you know, with the department of veterans affairs. And so I still have that, that connection with the military and with veterans on a daily basis. And, uh, I, I, again, one of those things, I just, I love what I do and I don't think it'll ever change. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I, I feel like once you find that thing that like makes you tick or that you feel like, Hey, this is my purpose. It, it makes everything so much easier and more enjoyable. And the fact that you've been able to transfer that from, you know, in high school to, post high school military to now a career, um, outside of the military. That's pretty awesome. I, I'm sure when I had to kind of laugh when you were talking about getting trail camera pictures, uh, and being away. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, cause I've, I moved away from my home state of Wisconsin, kind of a similar deal. My brother's calling me like, Oh dude, we got some big bucks on camera. And uh, I think at that point he didn't, he had like a flip phone. There was no way he could even send me a picture. I don't even know if you could transfer a picture from your trail camera to a cell phone at that point. And uh, he would tell me about all these deer and I'm down here in Missouri and I'm like, man, I just want to be up there. I want to be hunting. Then the same mm -hmm. thing after living in Missouri for years, moving out to Colorado, all my buddies were like, Hey, they're sending, they'd keep me in the group text. I think to torture me. Like, hey, guys, tomorrow's opening day. Who's coming out? And I'm just like, I hate all of you. I want to be back there. But uh, what what was that like, you know, going from from being in high school, hunting, hunting a property that you were familiar with to being down in Texas and then Louisiana and like really trying to figure everything out brand new? I mean, you said it right there. It was it was an adjustment. Um, you know, I went from hunting the same family property, you know, and a couple parcels of public land, but most of our deer hunting was done on our small 50 acre family, family property. I started hunting it with, with my family whenever I was about 10. Um, I started actually deer hunting there. Uh, I guess it was 2008. I killed my first buck on the last day of, of gun season and I didn't miss, you know, any, any weekends or any opening days. Um, you know, in, in that entire time, from the time I was 10 to the time I was 18, uh, it's, you know, I, I love doing it. I love that property and, you know, being away from it, I knew it was going to be a, a sacrifice that, that had to be made that year specifically. 
but I kind of had a an open open mind, if you will. That's that's not really the term I'm I'm reaching for. I, I guess I was just hoping that where I ended up getting stationed after tech school, because it's unknown. You know, you, you get yeah. done tech school and they kind of just cut your orders like here, this is where you're going. And, uh, you know, I just, I had hopes, you know, somewhere that I could do some good hunting, you know, and, you know, maybe out West, maybe, you know, and, you know, somewhere in the Northeast, you know, that I'm more familiar with, you know, what have you. And, and it was funny because I'm, I'm sitting there and, you know, I, I, again, I missed out that entire season of, of hunting. I didn't get any turkey hunting. I didn't get any deer hunting. And, uh, it wasn't until I, I got done um, with tech school that actually I got home. It was still late season muzzleloader, and I, I got to do a wee little bit of hunting. And, and I killed a doe the first day we hunted uh, with the muzzle with the flintlock, and two days later killed killed a doe with a bow. And and I was only up there for a short week, so yeah. that was what I was you know, able to 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 get done while I was there. And you know, it kind of filled the void, but. When when I got those orders, it said Barksdale, and I'm like, where the heck is Barksdale? So I I had to Google it. it says you know Barksdale Air Force Base, Louisiana. I said Louisiana, are you kidding me? Like what? I don't know anything about the Deep South at all, other than it's hot, you know. And I'm thinking like you know, and swamps and everything. All all you know, I think Louisiana. I can think of is is swamp people and Duck Dynasty, and you know that because that's all I was exposed to, you know um you know up north and so i you know i didn't know how it was going to go and i got down to to barksdale and uh started talking with you know the people at the base and you know they, everybody does a pretty good job of of welcoming you it's just kind of a military type uh culture if you will you know hey you know you know what makes you tick you know what do you enjoy doing you know or you, do you like to go out to, to clubs with friends do you you like to ride dirt bikes? Do you like to video game? Not really. <laughs> not not up my alley, you know. And I, I kept telling people, I'm like, look, I I fight fire and I hunt. That's all I do. Yeah. And they're like, oh man, you're gonna love it here. And I'm like, what? <laughs> no way. Like we're we're in Louisiana. What am I gonna do? Hunt alligators? And, and they said, I said, no, seriously. They're like, this base is huge. And then this is all within the first couple of weeks of being there. And, and you're kind of confined to the dormitory. You go from the dormitory to the fire station and back. And, and at the time, I didn't even have a vehicle. I hadn't bought a vehicle yet. So I was getting rides from other airmen. And, you know, it was a real adjustment period. And they're like, yeah, seriously, man, this, this place is, is huge. You know, and, and Barksdale Air Force Base is like 22,000 acres. Oh, and I believe like only only a little over two thousand of it is inhabited by like the facilities and the airstrip and everything else. So you're talking almost twenty thousand acres of of woods. They call it the East Reservation. And I didn't find this out until you know I got down there in April. It was you know probably June, July, and it's too hot to go do anything, you know. But I yeah, you know, I think it might have been like the first week of June or whatever. I found a truck I liked. I bought it. And that's when the exploring started happening. Um, I linked up with uh, some of the guys. They have a, a natural resource office there. They have guys that are actually paid to to manage that reservation and the wildlife and everything. And I, you know, I started picking their brains. I'm like, hey, look, if I'm going to do it down here, if I'm going to make it, you know, 
quality of life wise, like I have to find some hunting. And they're like, Oh yeah, no problem. And they handed me some maps and, you know, a gate card to, to go out to the reservation. I'm like, what's this for? They're like, Oh, you go out past the Jurassic gate. I said, what's the Jurassic gate? They said, believe me, you'll know it when you get to it. Just go down this road and you'll, <laughs> you'll hit it. And that's when you're on the reservation. And I figured out why they called it the Jurassic gate is because it looked like a park out of, or a, 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 a gate out of Jurassic park. I mean, you pulled up to this thing, this big metal gate and you know, you scan the car and it just kind of opens. You can hear the Jurassic park theme song playing in the background and you know you go out into the this you know giant you know reservation they have but i didn't know where to start i had no idea how to hunt southern deer and you know i always knew that hunting you know a buck is different it's a different animal than hunting just deer yeah you know hunting a mature buck that is and i come to find out that hunting a mature southern deer is substantially different than than hunting you know any kind of deer period and so i I said i started started poking around learning what i could from from talking with people and again with hunting that managed property of mine i knew where to sit i knew what stands to sit in what the deer usually did i i had you know thousands of acres that to me was unexplored. I mean, plenty of people had their deer stands there. There's plenty of trails, lots of people hunt it. I mean, they, yep. they get a little over a hundred hunters a day, you know, on the managed hunts and things like that. Oh, geez. And, you know, but to me it was, it was almost unspoiled wilderness. Like I had no idea. It was just, it was like starting from scratch, blank piece of paper. And so I started slowly figuring it out. And, uh, I started hunting it in 2017 and it was, it would have been the fall of 2017 started bow hunting and I bought a couple trail cameras. Now, mind you, I'm also now getting paid big boy money, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you will. Uh, you know, I had a part-time job in high school, but I never, you know, I, you know, there's enough to put gas in my vehicle, but never, never really had you know money to start throwing at hunt stuff. So when I started getting paid big boy money with minimal bills and expenses, I started spending money on hunting stuff, you know, some trail cameras and got a new bow and, and everything else. And uh, I had a little bit of success finding deer, but all the pictures were at night. I couldn't figure out really why, you know, yeah. and find a place that in my mind looked pretty. You know, or, or look like something I may hunt Pennsylvania is entirely different for hunting down there, you know, and, um, but nevertheless, you know, and, and during one of the gun hunts, it was, it would have been the last week in November because their rut's a little bit different. I imagine you can see it a little bit down your way too, but like Pennsylvania, that first week of November is, is magic. Yeah. You know, and it kind of Halloween for me is the, the, the day that I really start honing in. But that first week in November is it. Well, I started hunting hard the first week in November down there, still hunting in a t-shirt because it's 80 some degrees. <laughs> and wondering why I'm not seeing a whole lot in the way of deer. And the guys are like, like, don't worry, like rut hasn't even come in yet. I'm like, okay. So I come to find out that like last week in November, first week in December is this magic. Okay. And they have it coincide with their their rifle hunts. Um, you know, Louisiana seasons are completely different than the way they ran it on the base. The the base has to have managed hunts because obviously you can't just have a bunch of guys running around high powered rifles on a military installation. Yep. So they had managed hunts. You had to check in at the resource office, go to your stand. You had to be in your stand 
during quiet hours, you couldn't get down. There was no walking around or anything like that. And you had to leave your stand and come back in, check in. If you, obviously, if you, you killed anything, you had to check in. It was all really well managed. And uh, so during one of the gun hunts, uh, it was either November 30th or December 1st, you know, looked down the creek bottom. And it was one of the very few deer that I'd even seen on the hoof that season during daylight hours and, and I caught a glimpse of it, saw it had a rack and saw that it was more than likely big enough for their, their, uh, they had, uh, antler restrictions. Okay. And, uh, shot it and turned out it was nice eight point. It was my biggest buck to date, you know, and, um, was, was tickled pink. But then at that point is when I started trying to figure things out and look at things a little differently because again, you know, I got lucky on that. I had a ladder stand that was along this open strip of woods and, you know, surrounded by the Lockwally pine trees. And I got lucky and saw him sneaking down through the thick creek bottom. And I started to, to realize that, you know, if I was going to have that kind of success, I needed to replicate it year after year. And so I started looking at it more towards why was this buck here? Not, hey, cool, he was here. I got him. But yeah. why was he here? And, I, you know, I started piecing it together. You know, okay, well, this is the rut down here. He was in the thickest cover in the area. There's, you know, even thicker pockets. He was moving bedding to bedding is what it turned out to be. You know, and he was in a travel cord. And I started to realize that what I thought was thick enough wasn't. And I, I started looking at things a little bit differently. And then that, that off-season – I bought a heck of a lot more cameras and spent a heck of a lot more time driving around. And most of that being um, during like, you know, cause their season goes to February. So like the early part of March, I really started looking around out there because it was cooler. The foliage still hadn't completely, you know, come on the trees yet. And you know, yeah, and I had that, that massive green up that you get down South. And I started doing a little bit of postseason scouting. Didn't know what to call it. Just knew I was doing the scouting, looking for signs. Yeah. You know, as it turns out, the, the popular term is postseason scouting, and I, I still do it to this day. Um, that's my favorite way to scout. And started figuring out more and more. Um, and from there, I, I ended up uh, – I took leave like a moron. <laughs> I took leave during that first week of December because that's when our gun season is up here. Yeah, And I wanted to hunt with the family. I took leave, came up here. And I still shot a, you know, a, a little basket rack eight point, you know, but for only being up here for a week and a half, that was, that was good enough for me. So I didn't kill a buck down there that the second year, but you know, that was, that's almost trivial. And, uh, then I started figuring more out, uh, the hunting public kind of came into view for me. I started watching YouTube in my free time at the stations and stuff. And, uh, Again, with, with our schedule at the time, we were, we were working 24 on, 24 off. So every other day you're off. Um, and then we ended up switching to a 48, 48. So that meant, you know, you're at the station for two days, but then you're off for two days. Yeah. And if you had a, we call it a Kelly day, it's like a break day where your shift's working, but you're off and every person has a different day. It's their Kelly day. So you'd end up having like three day weekends and things like that. That's great for a hunter. <laughs> yeah. For real. You know, you can, you can. Well, as long as long as the cold front, you know, happens to fall at that time, you know, and, and cycle when you're off, 
it kind of sucks sitting at the station when a cold front's in and you're getting on the trail <laughs> camera pictures and you can't do a thing about it. But, um, so I started learning some stuff from them and, uh, you know, kind of dove deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole. And, uh, in, in 2018, I, I put up, no, no, I'm sorry. 2018 was the year I, I took off one up there. So it would have been 2019. I, uh, I put in a couple micro food plots in the thickest, nastiest cover I could find. I got a clearing permit from the resource office and, and by hand, cause I had nothing down there. You know, I, I went out there with hand tools and, and, you know, hand spreaders and everything else and put in a couple micro food plots. So you can apply for a permit to, to do that on the base. Yes. Yeah. That's and awesome. I don't know if they do them anymore. I think, I think towards the end of the, towards the end of the sea, uh, my time down there, they were getting away from doing that because guys were having, they were paying guys to come in with skid loaders and things like that. Oh, to, dang. To, to, yeah. And so they, they got away from that, but like I went in cause you know, there's a couple places like for a rifle stand that I wanted to clear a couple small shooting lanes and they're like, Oh yeah, you just need a clearing permit. And they, they ran me down through the whole process. And the way it works down there is, I guess I should have prefaced it with this. They, you have like spots essentially. They they make it out to be like a you know two hundred yard by two hundred yard square that's kind of your spot. You okay. know, and anybody can hunt it if you're not there, but you know, you put in for a lottery and you get to pick different spots on on the reservation that you know is is your spot. And you go in, you you can put your tree stand up, you can you know tag a tree. Um again at, at that point I'm still hunting out of hang on stands and everything else. So I'm going in in the heat of August, you know, based on trail camera intel and things like that and, and hanging, you know, lock on stands, you know, in in trees that, you know, are, are, you know, I think are decent areas. And they said that, that year, 2019, I, I tried to put in a couple micro food plots and, and it did great for getting pictures of deer, um, at night, but I didn't have a whole lot of daytime action. And it was either in 2018 or, or 2019. I was getting pictures of some some really decent bucks. Um, I'm not real good at judging them on the hoof, but I would I would safely say that a few of them were pushing 150. Nice. And uh, they they do have some big deer down there and on the reservation. I can't say anything for you know the, that part of the state of Louisiana you know, as far as um, the public land goes, but the base has some some really big deer. And, you know, I was just trying to figure it out. I realized I was getting close, you know, I, I, and I started getting more consistent pictures. I realized I was getting close to the bedding, but I wasn't quite there yet. And I had a, a, uh, a blind that was up on a uh, platform, if you will. And it was overlooking some of these strips that I had made and planted. And my goal was to have a couple of deer come out and feed right before dark and, and be able to, you know, be able to kill my deer that way and uh hunting really hard and it would have been december 2nd so that magical time uh right right at dark i look over and and up out of this thick bowl comes a buck and i could just tell he was a a nice buck um so i i stopped him and he was in some pretty thick cover thick enough that i probably shouldn't have taken the shot hindsight but i could make out about where his shoulder was and i squeezed off and he takes off, goes running back down to, into the bowl. And I go over, there's no blood or hair. And 
I got to the edge of the bowl thinking, well, maybe, you know, he went down in, and sure enough, he was laying at the bottom. And the funny story with that one is uh, he ended up coming in at about 200 pounds. And the guys at the resource office, when you check in a deer, they weigh it, they age it, and they age the deer at five and a half, which for me was Man. unheard of. We don't get deer oh, yeah. that old here in Pennsylvania, not, not with the pressure we have. So it's it's pretty rare that you get a deer three and a half, four and a half. I mean, it happens, but not typically. So I just I was over the moon. Uh, and the problem was is that deer was at the bottom of this bowl, and the reservation back in you know, I think it was World War One. You know, I, I, somebody's going to comment. No, you're wrong after doing the research. But I, I believe it was World War One was a bombing range for you know for army you know, pilots at the time. And so, you know, looking on Onyx and everything, I'm like, oh, look, there's all this, all these cool terrain features. No, those are craters <laughs> in, in the ground. I mean, they're just, you know, deep bowls the size of, you know, like my living room that are, you know, you know, 30, 40 feet almost straight down. And, of course, he's laying down in the bottom of it. It's thick as all get out on either side. Sorry, my dog's making a whole lot of noise. Uh, anyway, the uh, I called one of my buddies and I'm like, "Hey, you know, I, I got one. Can you come help?" Oh no, man, I'm sorry, I'm coming back to Dallas. I won't be there for another hour. Called my, my other buddy. Oh man, I'm on a movie date with a girl. I I can't help you either. Now. Well, I'm on my own for this one. So I ended up. Uh, I was trying to do that. I had him by the rack and I was trying to go tree to tree. You know, slowly pulling my way up the hill and wasn't getting very well and you know getting up there in any kind of a speed doing that and I was slipping most of the time. So I thought, well, you know, what else can I do? And what it ended up turning into is I would, I would squat down, use my legs, grab the deer by the rack, you know, you know basically squat lift him straight up to my chest and just fall back, you know, the deer <laughs> on top of me, you know, in trying to incline up, up this, uh, up this hill, you know? And so by the time I got him up to the top, I was absolutely spent. All the lactic acid had built up in my legs and, you know, I, you know, <laughs> I dry heaved a whole bunch of times, but now I've got to walk 300 <laughs> yards back to the truck to grab a deer cart, which fortunately the year before, you know, my, my lovely wife, girlfriend at the time, you know, had, had bought me and, uh, then wheel him back out through the, the mud and everything else. And of course it's a heavier deer. So the tires are sinking down in the mud and, so, like I said, by the time I got back to the truck, I was I was totally spent. But he was a you know just a nice, heavy, short tined eight point, you know. And um, the fact that he was a mature deer is is what you know got me oh, excited. Yeah. It made me made me think, you know, okay, I'm, I I might be starting to figure some things out. And and naturally, I wanted more, you know. I I wanted to start figuring things out even even more, and so down the rabbit hole even further I went. Um, that was about the time that everybody started talking about hunting saddles. And I'm like, what is this nonsense? And, <laughs> but I did like the, the mobile aspect of things, you know, I, I, these guys like the hunting public, they carry their, their sticks in on, you know, on their backs, you know, with the stand they go in they find a tree they like, they'd hang it. And during bow season, you could do that on the base, you know, most three quarters of the hunters that would hunt the base were only hunting during the gun hunts. You know, there was okay. only a handful of bow hunters. 
So I looked at it as free range, just about anywhere I wanted to go. You know, it wasn't a spot I had to register. If I knew that there were deer in there or I knew it was a good early season spot, I could go in there and bow hunt. So I liked the mobile aspect of things. And I started, started trying to work on that setup. You know, I got a, it was a millennium M100 or something like that. It was a real nice seat. It was a light, fairly lightweight stand. <laughs> and kind of laughed that it, you know, I thought that that was lightweight <laughs> and uh, a set of sticks and I'd strap it on there and I'd go clinking through the woods back to certain spots and you know get all sweated up going up a tree in october when it's still 90 degrees down there and think oh yeah this is hunting i'm i'm doing it like the guys on the hunting public Woo-hoo, <laughs> you know never see a deer i'm like okay something's going on here. well then i decided i tried to try the saddle thing out you know and uh, again this this entire time i'm i'm scouting harder than i ever have i'm running more cameras than i ever have and now that I have a couple of years of history down here on this base, I'm like, you know, I'm starting to figure out certain areas are, are real hot. Yeah. You know, I'm diving into thick bedding. I'm, I'm finding sheds, you know, right there, in, you know, the early part of March. And um, that's like I said, I, I figured, well, I may, I may want to try this saddle thing, but I didn't want to spend the money on it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was looking at how much most of this was. I'm looking at Tethered's website. I'm going, no way. You know, I'm not spending this kind of money for, a, you know, maybe like it or maybe don't like it. Yep. And uh, so I started DIYing a lot of stuff. Uh, not really a, a a manly man type of thing, but I, I'm, I'm fairly decent behind a sewing machine, you know. And so I, I started looking at, at saddles and going, I can make that, you know. And I'd, I'd buy components off of Amazon and, you know, piece them together. And I actually, I, I DIYed my, my own saddle from the from you know from scratch essentially dang and uh it was not comfortable by, by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> now, I, I did i did buy a tether pre- uh, predator platform right from their website i spent the money on that and uh you know realized pretty pretty early on that that i thoroughly enjoyed it that it was really the way to go and so i i, I kept honing that setup and eventually uh after about, I think I hunted with my, my DIY saddle maybe through like October of that year going into the, uh, the 2020 season. And, uh, so I was like, well, you know, I like it. You know, there's no question that I like it. And I think it's the way to go. I might as well spend the money on it. So I, I bought a tethered saddle and, uh, you know, of course then started to refine my setup even more. I, I got the the hot climbing sticks, the, you know, the three-step ones back when those were still readily available and, you know, painted them up and everything. And I, that's when I realized, oh, this is what lightweight is like, you know, yeah. really being able to dive, you know, into thick cover. Um, I still had a couple trees that I would preset, you know, with, with the big steel clanky climbing sticks that I knew were in good spots one of them, excuse me, one of them was in the same place that I'd shot that big heavy eight point and which wasn't far from the place I'd shot the first year down there in my first year. And, uh, I had just about figured that place out, you know, as far as where they were going, how they were coming through there, how they were using it. And, uh, my birthday that year, summer had gotten me a Moultrie mobile trail camera. And so I was running it 
down in that bottom. And I was getting pictures of deer and I was getting pictures of nice bucks during daylight hours. And I'm like, yep, I've got it pretty well figured out. And uh, it just so happened that one of the best cold fronts came on during a gun hunt. And I went out there. I, I actually took my inline, my CVA inline, because it was a synthetic stock. And I didn't want to ding up my, my, my good rifle trying to you know, climb and you know, do a hanging hunt. And I knew I was doing well as far as access goes and as far as lightweight and quiet goes when I got up the tree, set the platform, was hanging. And as it started to get daylight, I thought I saw a movement down in the thick stuff below me. And I look and there's a doe bedded only about 40 yards below me. And she never knew I was there. Once it got daylight, she stood up and started milling around, you know, down, down the little, uh, down the little bowl. And, uh, I'm like, well, okay, this is, this is pretty good. You know, uh, at least as far as efficient and quiet goes, I'm, I'm getting better. And, uh, it was probably, you know, mid morning, you know, and I looked over and, I see, uh, I see something black moving through the trees. Now I shot hogs down there. They have a, quite a few hogs on the base. And I thought maybe it was a hog at first. And then, and I look even, you know, finally get, get a glimpse of it through the trees and it's a jet black coyote. Dang. And I, I, you know, I, I've had pictures of plenty of coyotes and a couple of black ones on the camera, but I'm like, I've got my end line. He's, you know 300 yards through the woods you know what am i going to do and he actually ended up going out of sight i was like well Aaron, that's that it was kind of cool to see him but you know probably 15 to 20 minutes later i looked down and he's actually coming back up through the creek bottom below me oh, of course there's smoke everywhere and uh after after a little while i got down and went down to, to check and you know Sure enough, 50 yards from where I shot him, there he laid. So that was a $800 taxidermist bill, yeah. big, you know, like 35-pound male, you know, jet black with a big white patch on his chest that was absolutely out of this world. Um, That's cool. Two days later, I'm, I'm sitting in the same tree, and not long after daylight, I see a buck coming through the woods and, you know, look, look to be a good enough buck and, uh, you know, I actually had the rifle with me that day because I figured I could do it without dinging it up. And so I shot him with the rifle and didn't realize it until I got down to him. And there's actually this buck here behind me um, over my uh, left shoulder there. Didn't realize until I got down to him, but it was my biggest buck to date. Um, which was even funnier because I took uh, the first week of November and went home on leave that year. So that, that would have been again, like the December 1st time frame that I killed this buck here. Uh, but the first week of November, I was at home and killed a decent buck with my bow in Pennsylvania, which at that point was the biggest buck. And then a week, you know, you know, biggest buck I'd taken. And then a week later, I I outdo it again, shoot an even bigger buck. In <laughs> what the a year! So it, it was it was a very good year. Um, but yeah, in 2018, they did an alligator hunt, and I put in for it, got drawn for a tag. Um, that you know they only did like 10 tags for the entire base and uh was fortunate enough to draw a tag got a eight eight and a half foot alligator out of one of the lakes out there uh, so louisiana just it it 
it gave me a, a lot of uh, out of this world hunting opportunities that I never thought as a Pennsylvania boy I'd ever get. Yeah. Um, and you know, I learned I learned a lot from you know my dad and my grandpa, you know, and, and other guys that I've hunted with over the years, and you know, you know, got got fundamentals from from all of them. Uh, but it wasn't until I got down there and started to have to figure things out for myself that I, that I really started putting pieces of the puzzle together. And, you know, like I said, that's, that's where we kind of lead into, you know, with this year and, and starting to, you know, apply it at home, you know, and, and that's, you know, I, I, I can't say enough about the things that I learned down there and, being able to apply them now and how much it's helped, you know, it, it, it gave me a whole different way of looking at things. I, I thought whenever I, I, I started bow hunting whenever I was 16, you can start hunting on your own, you know, in Pennsylvania when you're 16, I got a secondhand bow from a guy and did not know at all, whatever I was doing. I put up, put up a couple of hang on stands on the property, had a couple encounters with deer. It just, it, I, I didn't know what I was doing and never found any success during, during bow season. I always seemed to kill one during the gun season, you know, a little scrub buck or something. Um, you know, I, from the time I was 10 to the time I was 16, I killed a buck every year, you know, a little, nice. little scrubby six point, seven point, whatever, you know, whatever it was. And, uh, you know, I, I, I thought then, you know, oh, well, I'm diehard and I've, I'm figuring things out. You know, I didn't know a thing. <laughs> and, and I, in their days, I still don't think I, you know, I know anything as far as what I'm doing. All right, guys, if you've been listening to the podcast, I'm sure you've heard me talk about the helicopter hog hunt that I did down in Texas. Now I went down there with rogue Texan outfitters and Landon and Brandon, the owners put us on the animals. We killed 150 pigs and 19 coyotes just from the air. On top of that, we went out thermal hunting at night and got up close and personal two more hogs. I didn't have to worry about bringing guns or ammunition because all of that was provided for me and it is to this day the most action-packed day of hunting I've ever had. I stand by what I've said in the past and that's that helicopter hog hunting is the funnest thing that you can do with pants on. In addition, they offer sandhill crane hunts and predator calling. So if you're looking for the most exciting hunt of your life and something that you're going to want to come back and do year after year, go check out roguetexan.com and book your hunt today. So like when, when you went back up though, from Louisiana, I mean, what were the types of things that you said, Hey, I'm going to change because I, I totally understand the Northern hunting deal. Like I bet you, we didn't even move tree stands for 10 years. Like, you just yeah, sit in the I, same tree every year, like, oh, that's dad's tree, that's my tree, that's your tree. Yep. Um what type of things did you start implementing right when you came back? So so we moved back in later part of August of twenty twenty one. And you know, that's rolling straight into preseason prep. Uh and there were things I knew I wanted to do a little bit differently. You know, I wanted to move a couple bow stands. Of course, I wanted to set up some, some trees to saddle hunt. Uh, at the time, my brother didn't saddle hunt. So we, we had to set trees that were for him, you know, and, and trees that were for me, essentially. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just, I looked at the property entirely different. I still had the preconceived notions 
which sometimes were detrimental of, you know, well, the deer always do this or they always seem to do that. And it, that didn't help me quite as much as I had hoped. But, you know, I, I was looking at things a little bit differently, paying more attention to the real thick cover and that that's probably where they're bedding. Not so much. Oh, oh, the deer are always in the pond. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe, you know, but but this is where they're really hanging. This is really where their core area is. And at that point, I had I had bought a couple more cellular uh, cell cameras and, and, and deployed those. And going into the, the, the 2021 season, you know, I, I had good hopes for archery. Uh, again, you know, I kind of reverted a little bit into my old habits of knowing, okay, well, this is historically a good spot. And it paid off, you know. It, on, on our property, if you're in any of the really good stands that are in decent travel corridors, and you spend enough time in one of those stands during that first week of November, you're going to have a shooter buck walk within range. Of yeah. You know, plain and simple. And, and I did, and and was able to, to get that buck. And um, I was happy with it. Yeah. You know, I was you know, back in Pennsylvania, back on my home turf, I, you know, I shot a nice buck with my bow. I was, I was happy. Um, and again, you know, now it's like, okay, I'm living here now. I have more access to the property, which I'd been missing out on for, for four years. You know, I, I missed that, that property terribly. I miss my family too, but I missed that property <laughs> <laughs> terribly. And, uh, you know, I was like, well, I need to start making this better. You know, I, I have almost unlimited access to it now with my days off and, you know, I, I'm getting paid decent money. I can put money into this, you know, and, you know, started thinking the food plot route. We, we have plenty of open fields that my, my grandfather mows. We would joke that we hunt on our golf course. He keeps the road mowed, <laughs> you know, uh, he keeps the backfield nice and mowed. The deer will come out and feed in it, but I'm like, I can, I can do more, you know? So, so we, we, we got a little nutty with food plots this year and, and put in, a handful of, you know, what most people would consider micro-sized plots and put cell cameras on them and, and such. And I started running conventional cameras in, in July, or it was probably the later part of June. When I started noticing deer, you know, on the side of the road and stuff with, you know, starting antlers, yeah. I, I started hanging cameras and just, just regular uh, SD card cameras. And it was the weekend, it would have been second to last weekend in July, I believe. I went out to spray and, and kill off where I wanted to put these food plots. Yep. Because I was, I was going to try to till and plant August 1st or thereabouts. And so I go out to spray and I check, and I had checked a couple cameras and, and there was a couple of decent bucks. You tell they were going to be decent eight points. Um, actually one of the deer that we'd had on the camera the previous year and I'd picked up his shed, uh, actually both sets of sheds, uh, the, the previous winter, um, tight rack eight point, you know, he's only about yay wide, but he's got these mega brow tines on him. He just looked ridiculous, you know, but we called him the tight rack eight point. I had him show back up and so I, I was getting, getting confident. And I checked one of the last cameras, which I knew I wanted to put a stand in that corner where I was going to put this food plot. 
due to the fact, you know, the way the train works, specifically that there's some thick, nasty bedding back in there that I know nobody really goes into and was hoping that, you know, if the, if the does come out and feed in this field, like I usually see them doing, uh, you know, hold them in there with the, the, you know, with a food plot, and, you know, during that magical time of year, they'll, they'll probably going to get checked by a buck. And if I'm in this tree, yeah. you know, which is just a mega, you know, I can't even reach around this tree. It's, it's almost too big to saddle hunt out of. But I knew that if I if I had it set up and preset, that I could hide behind that tree and not have to worry about getting picked by does and hopefully make a shot on a buck if, if one presented itself. And I checked the camera at the corner of that, that food plot. Mind you, we hadn't planted anything yet. And I had a, a what I would consider to be a mega giant one. Uh, one series of pictures of him, you could you could tell he, he had five times, you know, started along the main beam, you know, looked to be, you know, as wide as a Buick. <laughs> and we do not get pictures of deer of that caliber on the farm frequently at all. You know? Yeah. And I, I got a little excited. Um, I was showing everybody, you know, I showed my grandpa who, who owns the property and he was just absolutely floored. I mean, he, we, we just don't see deer of that caliber very frequently, but there was always the thing in the back of my mind saying, you know, you'll never see him again. He'll be yeah. gone. You know, he was just passing through, you know? So we put the food plot plots in there the first week of August. And, and actually between, between that, uh, in, in June, I, you know, we went down to Mississippi, uh, summer's families from Arkansas and, uh, we got married on their, their lake property over in Mississippi. And so, like, like I mentioned to you earlier, when we, we took our honeymoon, we went to Springfield. Uh, actually, we took the honeymoon in Branson, but made, made a trip to Springfield to the Bass Pro, and they have that big clearance center, you know, yep. on the side of it. Well, Summer and I were both bargain shoppers. Uh, she's a shopper, period. I prefer the term bargain shopper for me. And uh, we're walking around through there, and and you know, I didn't really see anything I had to have, but I turned a corner, and they had a rack of scent walk. And with watching the hunting public and learning the saddle thing and, of course, watching the tethered guys and their YouTube channel, the, the name John Everhart was constantly popping up. And so I was watching his stuff, too. And, you know, what he was saying, especially about saddle hunting, made a lot of sense. And, of course, anybody who watches John Everhart knows that he has a religious scent control regimen. Yep. And... You know, I was always scent conscious is what I would call it. You know, I was washing my clothes in scent-free detergent. You know, I keep them in a scent-free tote. But I was just hunting in mossy oak, you know, regular clothes. I wasn't wasn't doing anything crazy. Mostly because, you know, when, when I'm hearing this guy talk about scent lock, how good could it be? And, and then you look at the prices online. It's like, hmm, I'm not paying that. Good. Forget it. <laughs> you know, forget it. I'm not paying that much money. So I was always scent conscious. I'd take a shower beforehand. I was using ozone generators in my truck to, you know, all that good stuff. And so I saw this scent lock and I was looking at the prices. I'm like, that's actually not too bad. I'm like, I might as well try. So I picked up a scent, uh, you know, a set of scent lock and, um, you know, got, got it for a steal and, and figured, well, well, we'll give it a shot. And so I started watching some of John's videos specifically about care for scent walk and why scent walks the best things in sliced bread and everything. 
And that's when I got a little nutty and started uh, hunting, the, you know, shopping the deals on the website. And of course, I found out they offer a military discount. Um, and uh, so, you know, started building my, my complement of scent lock and, and going in, going into archery season, you know, that's all I was wearing, scent lock. And just about short of having a minivan, just about following John's scent regiment to a T, you know? Yeah. And uh, so anyway, we get these food plots in, in August and sure enough, this deer keeps showing up and now he's, he's put on some inches and he just looks huge. I'm looking at this deer and, and, and again, I mentioned, I'm not good at judging him on the hoof, but I'm like, this deer has to be 140 inches. And, but again, I'm thinking there's no way he's going to stay, you know, he's going to show up and then he's, he's gone. You know, that's, that's it. And he had a, he had a fork coming off of his main beam on the one side, the, the two, it would have been his uh, G2 and G3, I'm sorry, G, G3 and G4 were coming off essentially the same base off the main beam. It almost looked like a mule deer tongue, if you will. And so when we're, we're talking about these deer, I don't, I don't name deer. And let me just preface it with that. I don't, you know, I don't name them after quarterbacks or nothing like that. I, you know, you have the tight rack eight or you have the, the short time 10, uh, you know, things like that. It's, that's what we use to identify deer when I'm talking to my brother or whatever else, you know. And, but I just kept saying, you know, that, that, that mule deer looking buck, you know, and, and so the nickname that ended up sticking and I'm slightly ashamed to say was mule. I, I don't know why it just, it, it stuck, you know, and we just, we dubbed this deer mule, you know, because Hey, his body looked like a mule and he just, he had this, that time. It just, made him look like a mule deer not to mention the rack to make him look like a mule deer and uh so he was there till probably middle of september you know without looking at the exact date and I, i'd get pictures of him and he was getting bigger and bigger and then one day just poof gone and uh you know i figured okay you know they're they're shedding their velvet you know, he moved to his fall range. You know, it was nice getting pictures of him, but, you know, never going to see him, you know. And so I went into archery season. I still had a couple good bucks that I would have been happy to take, you know. And the, the farm through October just, just wasn't great. You know, it didn't have a whole lot going on. Nighttime movement for the most part. And I don't, I don't typically shoot those the other part of the year. Excuse me with my bow. I need to, and maybe one day I'll, I'll start doing that a little bit more, but, uh, I started hunting some public land out here, you know, where I live, you know, about an hour, hour West and, uh, had, had some encounters with some good deer, uh, actually screwed up on a nice real tight rack, 10 point with, you know, huge main beams. He was, he was real narrow. He had nice long tines and I, I screwed up on him and, you know, didn't, he didn't bust me. I missed him is what it was, but, um, you know, the whole time, again, I've got this fairly refined mobile hunting setup. You know, I'm walking a mile back into the public land. And it was actually a similar area to where I, I shot a turkey back in the spring. I went, I'll bet you this is good for deer, too. And so I started hunting back there a little bit. But, you know, I'm having to carry this this gear all the way back in. I'm carrying four hawk helium sticks that I had modified. I'm, you know, of course, my platform, little fanny pack with some stuff in it and uh you know my bow and 
again, everything is kept in scent-free totes and, you know, the stuff that's not scent locks getting crushed by an ozone generator and, you know, the scent locks, you know, getting deabsorbed, kept in scent-free totes. So I, I figured out the scent-free stuff and I had not gotten busted by a deer at all up, up to that point. Usually you'd have that one mature doe that busted or whatever. And I didn't have, have any kind of issue with that. And so fast forward, I, I took off the whole first week of November. I put in vacation. You know, I think my vacation day started November 2nd, I believe it was, which I think was a Monday this year. And, uh, or I'm sorry, no, it, it started November 1st. The first day I was able to hunt was November 2nd. And I go out to the farm that opening morning of hunting and I climb up in the tree and I'm sitting there and from back in the thick bedding, I hear the deep throaty grunt and I'm like, is there a greater feeling like, in the world than that? Like the moment, not when, not that... when it's a nice cold November morning oh, and, and you're, you've got the whole week to hunt on your favorite property and, and you're, you're armed to the hilt and ready to go. No, I don't think there is Dan. I, yeah. <laughs> and, Nevertheless, you know, I hear this grunt and I'm like, okay. So I grab my grunt call and I grunt back and nothing. I don't hear anything. I grunt one more time and I don't hear anything. About five minutes goes by and then I hear another deep throaty grunt and it reaffirmed the fact that is what I heard. And I'm like, well, that's not, that's probably not a year and a half year old buck. That's probably a good buck. So I grunted again. I grunted again. I didn't hear anything. Okay, yeah. I, I'm guilty of it with turkey hunting. I, I overcall a lot of times. So I put the grunt call down one. Like just <laughs> give it a minute. And there was a, a scrape. <laughs> there was a scrape probably about 30 yards to my one o'clock, you know, along the field edge that a little buck could work right at daylight. Well, 50 yards down that same tree line, all I see is tines step out of the woods. And I saw the little drop point off the main beam, and I'm like, holy crap, it's him. So he looks like he's going to walk right down the field edge to that scrape. Like, you know, I had to pick my jaw up to grab my bow off the bow hook, and I get the bow in the hand, release clipped on and I'm like, I already ranged that that scrapes like 32 yards. He, he stops there smoked, you know, like I'm already, I'm already envisioning what position I want him on on the wall, you know? And he gets, he gets to about 10 yards before the scrape. And again, you hear John Eberhardt talk about this all the time. He gets about 10 yards. What would be downwind of the scrape. And he stops, he puts his nose down, turns and starts walking through the open field, the open food plot you know, straight across it at about 40 yards. And I realized that, you know, this is the only chance I'm going to get. He's not going to come closer. So I'm trying to range him, grab the grunt call, and the, the hand that's holding my bow, of course, is just, you know, going ballistic. I grunt at him. He keeps walking. I grunt at him a little louder. He keeps walking. And, you know, I have a 40-yard pin. I've practiced plenty of 40 yards. I practice all the way out to about 50, you know, but I, I don't like using it. My, my bread and butter is 30. That's, 
as far as shooting a deer. But I'm like, you know, this is a big deer. You know, he's in the open. He's fairly calm, but he's walking. And as he's walking, I've got all these limbs in the way because I kept enough limbs for cover, thinking that there's going to be does in the field feeding. And, you know, that, you know, I wanted enough cover so they wouldn't pick me off while they're spending time in the food plot. And I'm like, ah, you know, could thread a shot, but I don't want to. I don't want to risk wounding them. I've got, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm going, you, you have all week to hunt. You'll see him again. Don't worry about it. As he approaches the, 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 the other end of the food plot and is about to go up into those pine trees, I'm like, well, got to try something. So I snort wheezed at him. I've had deer, you know, turn and, and walk in on a dime, you know, do a snort wheeze. I'm figuring if, if he didn't care about the grunt, if I snort wheeze at him, maybe he'll, you know, maybe he'll turn around. Oh, yeah. No, he kept walking. Damn. And I'm like, oh, man. You know, so of course you, you have that feeling of just, well, that was your chance. You know, you're never going to see him again, you know, but on the other side of me, you know, it's like the angel and the devil on your shoulder, you know, you know, oh, you did the right thing. You know, you have all week to hunt. There'll be other chances. And, and you know, you moron, you should have took your chance. You know, you're never going to see him again. I hunted all the rest of the week and called in a lot of, you know, little nice little spikes and four points and everything else, but never anything to, to shoot. And uh, I had an opportunity at a couple of decent, you know, you know, figured, you know, 15 and 16 inch eight points. But with him being in the area, I just, I couldn't do it. Didn't want to do it. So that, that week is, is over. I just start going back to my work schedule and I, I kept getting trail camera pictures of him periodically. You know, and I'm like, okay, he's still around. He's still around. But he was mostly nighttime. And I think he daylighted one other time that at least I have trail camera pictures of him on. And that was Veterans Day. I was at work and it was rainy and miserable and big deer moving in the rain. <laughs> and there he was on one of the, the food plot cameras in the middle of the day. Yeah, but I couldn't do anything about it. So, uh, you know, I'd go up and hunt him you know, whenever I could, you know, on my days off. And, and the problem with that was, is, you know, I'm driving over an hour to get, you know, to get up there. And, and most of the time I'd end up staying the night at my parents' house. It was just easier. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd get off of work. I'd go up in time to hunt the, the afternoon. I'd go back to their house, spend the night, you know, eat dinner. And then I'd go out the next morning and hunt, you know, all day. And then I'd come home that's not real conducive for a marriage, you know, cause she was no, here. I see she, that being an issue. You know, an hour, hour away, you know, and, and she, I and to get off subject for a minute, you know, and, and we can kind of pick up where we were with, with, with Muley, but, you know, to, to talk, you know, family and wives, you know, again, she's a big hunter. So she understands to a point, but um, she's always been very supportive of you know me going and, and and hunting she knows what it means to me um but there's just a certain point that you know you have to put your priorities you know in line and and put your family first and i'm not always great at that and, and you know she knows that and i've told her that and, and you know it, i i think the reason i i found your material and and you know, of course, wanted to do this is because I, I see the stuff that, you know, you and your wife post and and I, I just think it's great. You know, I, I see a lot of summer and I in that and the bonds you guys have. 
her high gear release to keep you from hunting and stuff like that. You know, and it's it's funny because you know we do stuff like that. And our our running joke, her and I, is if 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 she doesn't want me to go, like she actually throws up a little bit of a protest about me going, I kill a deer. It's the funniest thing, you know, where I'm like, I, I have to be out there, you know. And no, you know, you, you've been out three times this week. You need to stay home. I, I want you here with me. And, you know, she'll actually get a little bit angry about it. Those are always the times I shoot a deer. Yep. So I always joke with her. I'm like, tell me not to go, you know. She's like, well, I don't want you to go. I want you to stay here with me. Like, well, maybe I'll go shoot. Instead of talk dirty to me, it's like talk angry to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and unfortunately, how it started happening, you know, a bunch of the deer I listed on the base, you know, she's like, well, what, you know, why would you, you know, go tonight? You know, we could go to dinner or whatever. And I'm like, no, I got to hunt, you know, and she'd get a little angry, you know, and it made, it would make me feel bad, but it always seemed like I'd shoot a deer, you know, whenever we'd have that little <laughs> tip before I'd go out the door, you know? So a- anyway, um, yeah, she, she's always been great about it. And last year she sacrificed a lot. And, and this year, you know, she, same kind of thing. She's sitting here by herself. Now, mind you, I transplanted her from Arkansas to here. She doesn't have any friends or family close by other than my family. And, you know, so, you know, between work and, and things, I mean, she, she'll come home from, from teaching and she sits here all afternoon. If I'm, if I'm down at the farm trying to hunt. And uh, so it, it's a balance and, and I'm, I'm working on that that balance and i definitely have to start working on the balance now you know going into this upcoming year and uh but but nevertheless you know it, it was always a, a a tense kind of conversation when i was like hey you know i'm, I'm gonna go after work and you know go to new boys and, and hunt yeah you know she you know well, you you already went this week and you know when are you gonna you know because when I'm, when I'm at work, I'm there the full 48 hours, you know, there's, I don't come home at night. You no, know, I, I sleep there and everything. So she's already by herself most of the week as it is. And then, you know, I take that away from her too. So, um, yeah, she's, she's tough in that regard. And I, I, I don't give her enough credit for it, but anyway, you know, I, I did that all bow season and just couldn't put it together. And so you know, going into going into rifle season, you know, he was off the cameras. I, it, it wasn't very long after, I think it was somewhere about the, the 18th and 15th was the last picture I had of, of this particular deer this year. And uh, there'd be a couple good ones that would pop up every once in a while, but, but nothing that big. And so going into rifle season, you know, I, I figured he was gone. I figured, hey, somebody killed him. You know, he, he got educated and left the property, he went somewhere else, you know, was locked down with a doe, what have you. And in Pennsylvania, you know, if anybody is from Pennsylvania or Wisconsin or Michigan or any, any place like that that listens to this, you know, they all know, like, gun season, all bets are off. Yep. You know, because it sounds like World War Three, and – you know, any one of those gunshots could, could be the deer you're after. So I don't get very picky in gun season. You know, if it's a good deer, I, you know, I'm probably going to take it. Um, I kind of, kind of had to write, write him off that, you know, he was probably going to be, going to be killed. And, um, I learned to bet on the deer, you know, without jumping ahead. I learned, you know, yep. my lesson oh, yeah. for this year was bet on the deer. 
you know, there's a reason he got that pick. And so anyway, uh, opening day, um, we were all in our own specific stand. My dad was in his stand, you know, you know, I was in my stand. And like you're talking about, everybody has their set locations and I put somewhere in the, the best stand. Um, and mind you, we had just found out probably three or four days prior that we were pregnant. So, uh, nice. you know, we were, you know, already, already excited, you know, and, and that opening day is Christmas morning for me, you know, and, uh, about seven fifteen or so she, she shoots at a, at a buck and, you know, turned out to be a real nice eight point, you know, and a deer I'd had trail camera pictures of. And, uh, so we recover it, and, you know, celebrated and, uh, all through the rest of rifle season, cameras were pretty quiet, you know, uh, small bucks here and there, forced does, and we'd see some deer, but they just, they, when the, when the shooting starts, they know it's time to run and hide and stay in yep. the thick stuff unless they're pushed and not going to move. And, you know, but nevertheless, I'm sitting in the stand, you know, as much as I can, uh, her deer ended up being hit by an archer back well i had pictures of him on the 15th of november and there was no no wound on him so it must have been after that he had he had been hit straight down through the back and it came out the base of his neck but it stayed Dang. above the vitals went went it almost looked like the person was level with him and the only thing i could figure is it was with a crossbow Okay. Because you know, it, with with a regular arrow, I think the the velocity would have been too less. The arrow probably would have stuck in him. Yeah. But uh, anyway, you know, it it wasn't it wasn't quite gangrenous, but there was definitely a lot of infection. So we we lost the entire neck. We lost both batch straps. Um, and conveniently, when she shot him, she took out both front shoulders. So, you know. There wasn't a whole lot to salvage there. So we literally had the hind quarter and, you know, some whatever else we could scrap out of it. Yeah. And our freezer was full. You know, we, we eat about four deer a year ourselves and, uh, you know, various ways, whether I do snap tits jerky plus steaks and roasts and things like that. And, uh, so I'm like, we need meat in the freezer. So the way my work schedule fell is, uh, I was off Wednesday, Thursday. And then the Friday, Saturday, Saturday was the closer of, of rifle season, but I had to work Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I'm like, well, it's, it's going to be, you know, just, you know, just this Wednesday, Thursday is all I'm going to be able to do. And so I told my dad, I said, well, I said, I'm meat hunting, you know, we're going to go out Wednesday afternoon. By the time I get off work and got up there said, Wednesday afternoon, if I get a good shot at the dough, I'm going to take it. And he was in his stand. My grandpa was in his stand and I was in mine. And wouldn't you know it, which from all those stands, we have a pretty good vantage of the entire property. Yeah. You know, the, it's 50 acres, but it hunts a lot smaller than that, just the way that the valley is and everything. Um, we didn't see a single deer from the hours of about one o'clock in the afternoon till, till dark, you know, five, five thirty. which for our places, it's extremely extremely rare like you better call a priest because something's wrong uh, <laughs> it, it, we you always see deer on our on our piece you know at least yeah. does you know and it, it's there's a reason i don't kill those with a high-powered rifle is because it, it would be trivial out of our place um 
we're just fortunate in that aspect. So I've only ever killed one doe with a high-powered rifle up until that point, and that was down in Louisiana whenever I was down there. So, you know, after dark, you know, you know, both my grandpa and my dad, were like, that's, that's crazy. We didn't even see a single deer, you know? Yeah. So, but we had plans. We're going to, we're going to hunt Thursday. So Thursday morning comes around, we're all in the stands and, um, I had some does come out way back the Gaswell road that I could see from my stand, but they're like 300 yards. I'm like, I don't want to shoot that far. You know, too much can go wrong. And I'm like, eh, you know, we've got all day. We'll see what happens. Well, my grandpa comes out after his doctor's appointment and says, you know, well, I'm going to go for a walk, you know? Like, okay. So that was about noon. You know, we ate lunch and then he said, I'm going to go for a walk. And he goes out around the hillside and from, from the shack that I'm in, I can see, up over the other side and I can see some deer over there. And so I, I sent him a text. I said, you know, there's, there's deer over there. I said, you know, you know, let's see which way you kick them. So most of them went running up the hill, but I thought I saw one cut down into the bottom, you know, and these deer 400 some odd yards away from me, whenever I'm looking at them. Yeah. And about 15 minutes later, doe pops out in one of my right of ways at about 60 yards and kind of trotting across. So I stopped her and, Settled the reticle. I figured, well, this is my chance. You know, I knew it wasn't a fawn, so I squeezed off and knew I crushed her. I mean, I watched her shoulders buckle and she was, you know, head down, dogging into the pine trees. Uh, I called my dad on the radio. I said, I just shot one. I said, you know, it it went your direction. I said, did you see it? He says, no. I said, okay, well, then she's probably dead between you and me, you know. Yeah. I said, that's, that's good. So I, 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 you know, like I said, I had said that to him on the radio. I texted Summer and said, you know, I got one for the freezer. I texted my grandpa, said, I, you know, I got one. And, you know, I'm hunting in like an eight by eight shack up on telephone poles. And I walked over to my, to my fanny pack to grab another bullet to top off my magazine, put the bullet in the gun set the gun down in the corner less than probably three minutes elapses in that amount of time. And I look down the other right away and out steps times just frame at about 120 yards. And I, at the way he's walking and at the speed he's walking, I know that this is going to be a split second thing. And I know that if he keeps walking the direction he's walking, none of us are going to end up seeing him. He's not going to wrap around the hill and come through one of the other right ways or anything like that. So I literally yelled out the window, <laughs> and he stopped and he looked up at the stand and I had to hurry up, grab the gun, get it out the window, zoom in the scope. And the reticle is just doing this all over the deer. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it, actually kind of fitting he was standing just about where my first buck ever was standing when i was 10 years old yeah and uh so i you know i told you know literally said to myself i said calm down you know take a breath make the shot and i had a nagging suspicion based on the frame that i saw step out of the woods that it could have been him yeah if not it was a deer of very comparable size and I settled the reticle right on the shoulder, squeezed. I watched his shoulders buckle, his tail tuck, head down, dogging it across the right away into the pine trees on the other side. 
you know, in a, in a, in a split second, he's out of view. And I had that split second, you know, that, that, that split second that we all live for, you know, yep. holy cow, did that just happen? <laughs> and they're gone to radio. <laughs> Mind you, I'm a fireman, right? So I spent a lot of time on the radio, doing radio transmissions and everything else. And we always tell everybody, you know, keep your cool on the radio. I lost yeah. my cool. Uh, you know, I, of course, the only person on this channel was my dad. You know, I said, you know, I think I just shot Muley. I said, <laughs> holy crap, holy crap, holy crap. I think I just shot him. And he's like, well, where'd he go? I said, he went down to the bottom. He said, all right, well, you know, let's give it some time. So now I went from, you know, worrying I wasn't going to shoot any deer to shooting two within less than three minutes. Yeah. And so I gave it, you know, probably about 30 minutes or so. And, you know. Of course, I had called Summer. She was teaching. And, you know, she answered because she knew there was a reason I was calling at that time of the day. You know? yep. Again, this is 1 o'clock in the afternoon in the Jeez. middle of the day. I, I can't tell you, and, and again, Pennsylvania hunters, any gun hunters in, in big pressure states, stay in your stands during lunchtime. Yep. I cannot tell you how many deer I've shot between the hours of 10 and 1. Um. Southern hunters, no, get out of get out of your stands. You only hunt the first three hours in the morning and the last three hours. Don't don't, don't sit in your stand all the day. But everybody up here in, in, in the in the gun season states, sit in your stands all the day. Anyway, uh, so I go down and check where you're standing, and I knew he was on the trail right before the high wall. It dropped off, and I'm looking. There's no blood or hair. And I'm like, oh, you just you have that sinking feeling, you know. Yeah. I'm like, there's no way I missed this deer. No way. I know what I saw through the scope, you know? And so I said to my dad, I said, well, I said, I got no blood or hair, but I've had deer that, you know, are like that. Oh, yeah. I said, uh, I'm going to start sneaking into the pine trees here. And there's some pines with thicker brush. And then there's, you know, you know, an underlayer of golden rods that makes everything nice and thick in there. I said, you know, I'm going to start sneaking in and, and looking. I got about five feet off of the right of way into the pines and something caught my eye no more than, you know, seven or eight yards in front of me through a locust tree and goldenrods. I, I thought I could just see the outline of a deer laying there. And I pulled up my gun, you know, the scope and I couldn't see diddly nothing, you know, with, with three power even. Yeah. I backed it all the way down. I'm like, ah. So I put the gun on my shoulder and I reached to grab my binoculars out of my, out of my harness. And I, I, I said to myself and the big man upstairs, since I was lifting my binoculars up, I said, don't let this be some kind of sick trick where this is a rock or something. Like that. <laughs> and I, I picked up through the, through the bush. I can, I can see it, the deer, I can definitely see deer hair and I can see it was laying there and, and it was okay. Well, where's his head at? You know, is it, you know, which way is he facing? Is, is he still up? You know, does he have his head up? And I can see antler, you know, kind of look like it was laying on the ground. So I'm like, okay, dead buck laying here, probably a good one based on what I saw walk out. You know, he's dead. So I, of course, started walking up to him, you know, with, uh, with caution and sticking out of the golden rods on the one side. I see that drop point. Oh man. And I knew it was him. And uh I didn't pick him up. I, I didn't didn't do anything. I, I I called called my dad on the radio and I you know I said probably the, the, 
the most, you know, quivering cracked voice I could. I said, you know, Hey, you want to come on down here? And he said, did you get him? I said, you'll, you'll see. He says, is it him? And I said, you'll see. <laughs> and uh, so I, I walked out of the goldenrods, you know, only a couple feet. You know, he'd only made it 10 yards, you know, I walked out of the goldenrods, you know, which was only a couple feet from where he was laying to where we have like a, a road cut. And again, hunt on a golf course. So grandpa's got everything mowed down there, you know, and I get to the, the cut road. And I just hit my knees and, uh, and I, you know, I had a moment, you know, and, you know, uh, definitely not one I'm going to forget, you know, anytime soon. And I, I called my grandpa and I said, Hey, go ahead and come on down here. And, uh, so my dad gets down there first. And I, I walked to meet him. You know, he had, of course, couldn't see the deer laying up there in the golden rods. So I, I walked to meet him and gave him a big hug. And we, we had a little, you know, celebratory moment there. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was one of them things and, and not to get too feelsies, but you know, even, even when I'm in Louisiana, uh, I would always call him after I shot. You know, he yeah, was, he was always one of the first calls. Now, you know, in recent years, summer a lot of times is the first call, uh, <laughs> and she she'd be mad at me if she wasn't. But uh, he's he's one of the first calls, and you know, always has been, and he's been with me for so many of the deer I shot, you know, including yeah. my first one. He was right there, so we 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 enjoy that celebration. You know? So anyway, we you know, enjoyed it, and I, I said, well, I want to wait for for Papa to get down here, and I said, I want. I want him to go pick it up, you know, cause my grandpa, I think he's 78 or 79 now, you know, he's, he's the one who, who owns his property. I, I hunted a lot with him growing up and he takes care of that property in such a way that I knew that, you know, something like this meant a lot to him. So yeah, he had just a, as, as big of a part in it as I did. I said, I want him to pick it up, you know? And so he finally got down there. It felt like forever. He, he finally comes, comes sneaking down through the, the creek bottom and, he comes walking up to me. He says, "Is it the big one?" I said, "Well, go find out." You know. And so he goes walking over, and he he, he picks. You know, he, he just kept saying "Wow" as he's walking up to the wow. He say "Wow," you know. He picks up the one side out of the golden rods. He's pulling golden rods off the other side. Uh, you know, and then you know, of course, we celebrated with it. But uh, you know, this this here is the side that I saw sticking out of the oh weeds. Oh my god! Little drop point. And, uh, you know, this, this was the side that got pulled out of the weeds, but, Holy um, cow. yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he had broke this brow tine off November 8th. I had a picture of him without for the first time, uh, taxidermist is going to rebuild that for me. But, uh, um, yeah, anyway, he, uh, he was definitely nice to finally get, uh, get my hands on. And, yeah. uh, this right here, I don't know if it's easy to tell, but in velvet it even was a little bit more profound they come off yeah. almost the same base there and that's that's kind of how he got his nickname and jeez uh, what a tank but, but to get my hands on him finally was you know it was just it was surreal you know yeah and so and, i mean we we got him got him tagged and got him pulled out of the weeds and then we had to you know go walking around the other side of the hill and find the doe and uh, <laughs> had completely crushed her too. I, I made almost identical shots on them, uh, straight through both shoulders, took the top off the heart. You know, nice. neither one of them made it any further than ten yards. And uh, called my buddy, you know, Tyler with with Ken Folk, and he come out and took a bunch of good pictures for me. And 
you know, then it was, it was time to get the work done and get, get, get him to the taxidermist and get the, the dough all, you know, skinned out and ready to go. Cause I had to be at work the next day. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it was, it was an absolute surreal year. Um, I, I like to think I'm putting things together a little bit, you know, yeah. as far as my setup, um, you know, with, with mobile hunting and, and saddle hunting, uh, I don't think there's any better way to archery hunt uh, than to saddle hunt. Yep. And there's just so many advantages to it. Um, there were so many times this year between the saddle and scent walk that you have, you know, a group, of, a family group of does or, you know, even a, even a, you know, small buck just hanging out near you and you can keep that tree between you and the deer in addition to the scent walk and I never had a deer spook at all this year. Damn. And that's probably the first year I can say that, that, you know, while archery hunting, I never even got winded by, you know, big nanny doe or anything. Yeah. Um, so with, with that, and, you know, of course the, the cellular cameras helped, I mean, knowing what was going on out there in real time. Um, that's, that's one of those ones that, you know, a lot of guys are kind of against them, you know, it was, you know, oh, it's an unfair advantage, you know, but, you know, with, for, for me, that, that's one of those ones that the tool is almost invaluable for me to be able to keep yeah. tabs on that, on that property. Cause the way I look at it is, is it's an hour and a half trip for me, you know, and if there's nothing going on out there, you know, I don't know if I want to make that trip, but if I'm at work and I'm, I'm getting real time notifications of, of, you know, deer in, in places and knowing what stand I need to be in, you know, that warrants a trip. Yep. So, you know, that's, that's definitely a tool I can't give up on. I feel, I feel like that's the case with a lot of different, uh, hunting innovations right out of the gate. People have a really hard time with it. And I, I try to tell people all the time, like the, the fishing game or the conservation departments, they're going to make, they're going to make rules and, uh, make it illegal to use things that are going to be detrimental to the deer herd or to whatever, you know, species population you're going after. But at the end of the day, a lot of this stuff comes down to, do you want to use it? Do you find it ethical? Right. Are you okay with it? And it's difficult mm-hmm. for me to tell anybody, cause I don't know their exact situation, what's right and, and what's wrong. I personally love cell cameras. I just, I hopped on a debate yesterday about, um, the live uh what was it the live streaming cameras because you know like a a cell camera it'll sell send you a picture but the live streaming cameras where you can actually go and click on it and watch it real time you know people have a hard time with that and i'm like i don't feel like that's a whole lot different um Mm -hmm. and it it really does as long as it's legal in your area it comes down to preference and what you're okay with Mm -hmm. i think it's an amazing tool and i will continue to use them um, that's one of my favorite things laying in bed. Like, what am I going to do with the information when a deer comes through at 3am? Nothing, mm. but right. I like that notification going off on my phone and I sit up and I look at it and I'm like, Oh, there's a buck. Sweet. You know, it's just exciting mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. I mean, and, and for me, my biggest attraction to them is I can take that camera and I can put it deep into thick bedding cover. Yep. You know, or, or in a travel corridor that I don't want to set a foot in, 
and know what's going on. I mean, minus having to change batteries or whatever, yeah. that's less that I have to go in there and less intrusive I have to be, you know, and, and whatever I can do to not educate those deer, all the better. Yeah. And I still run traditional SD card cameras in a couple places. Most of them are in high traffic areas that, that you know, that we walk, you know, access paths and things like that. You know, yeah, the deer use it. and You know, yeah, it's good to see what's, you know, what's moving through there. But most of my cameras that I'm running out there are in places that, you know, you know, are advantageous, you know, for keeping an eye on, but not going in there to check an SD card all the time. Because yep. whenever I was running, you know, I, I think I have like 14 or 15 regular SD card cameras and I ran those on the base a lot. I was always curious. I'd be sitting in a stand and know that I have a camera you know, a hundred yards down the trailhead, but it's like, oh, I want to go check that camera and see what's on it. But I also don't want to go down there and mess things up. So that's, that's why I love them. You know, oh yeah. It's just cutting down that, you know, that interaction and, and that education for them as much as I can, you know, and it, it also comes down to, you know, my access pass, you know, uh, if anybody's looking for, good education on that. That's where a lot of hunters go wrong is entrance and exit. Yep. Watch some of John Eberhardt's videos. I'm not saying he's the most Hollywood, you know, videographer ever, you know, but he gives, he gives you every tool you need as far as, you know, breaking a spot down and knowing how to get in and out undetected. Yep. Um, and I started doing that down on the base and, 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 like my first year, I was doing it all wrong. I was coming down a, a cut wide open path that was walking through half of the bedding. And yeah, I mean, I didn't spook very many deer, but how many deer were laying in it? And as I walked by, they, they you know, or, you know, walk right past them, they'd get up and walk the other direction. Yeah. You know, it, you, you never do know, you know, whereas the, the route I started going in, I, I was impacting a whole heck of a lot less deer. You, you have to, you know, look at your access and, you know, keeping it quiet, keeping yourself um, out of the vision of deer and in a place that you're not going to be uh, detected scent wise. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong. Scent lock helps me with that because I'm one of those nuts that, you know, I get out of my truck wearing my base layer or whatever layer I'm wearing over top. And I put it on outside of my truck on the opposite side of my exhaust, you know, um, you know, from a scent free tote, I, I wear my gloves and my head cover almost the whole way in, you know, and, and that's the way I climb the tree too. Um, so, so scent for me, scent for me this year, zero concern whatsoever. I, I never once looked at a spot wind wise and thought I can't hunt. The wind's bad. Didn't didn't pay it any mind. And that's I I apologize to John Eberhard. That's literally right out of his stuff, you know. And I pay zero attention to wind. Yeah. This year I paid absolute zero attention to wind. Um I actually I, I have an email written up to him that I haven't sent yet. And it it's got a little article, little blurb, little, you know you know, essentially high school essay that I wrote about this year and this deer and, and how I think scent walk, saddle hunting, you know, access paths, all that stuff helped me 
I haven't sent it yet. I'm like, yeah, um, I don't want to be too much of a fanboy, but but it's one of those things where you know he has some of the best tools in any young archery hunter, any young deer hunter. Period that that wants to kill more deer, you know, or, or any any guy at all that wants to kill more deer. Watch yeah. those videos. Um, yeah, and that's the thing. I, I mean, when when you want to, when you have a goal that you want to accomplish. You have to find those people that have already accomplished that goal and figure out what they did because, you know, you're going to save yourself a lot of of struggle, a lot of learning lessons. You know, you can learn from other people's mistakes and and go that route. And so that's awesome, man, that you took a lot of this stuff. I mean, it, it sounds like your development over the last, you know, five to eight years as a hunter has been pretty insane. Uh you know, having to move multiple times, figuring out new land and the resources that you dove into to help you get it done, obviously have paid off because you're crushing it, man. And I hope to have it, my hands around antlers like the one you just showed me. Well, it, it looks like you have. I mean, and, and, and don't don't misconstrue it. I mean, uh, you know, this he's he's P and Y, but but not by much. Uh, um you know, and I don't pay too much attention to score, you know, it's, yeah. it, for me, it's not about that. It's about killing a mature deer that I was able to target and, and, and harvest, um, you know, kill, killing that mature eight point on the base. You know, it, for me, that was a trophy. He scored diddly squat. It didn't matter. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's about killing that mature animal. And yeah, I mean, you said it, the development, you know, I, I, I sickened myself a little bit thinking, you know, about things that I did whenever I was 16 archery hunting, you know, it's like, what were you doing? You know, and I, I've just, I've slowly started putting those pieces together, but you know, goal wise, I still have a goal of shooting 150 inch deer. That, that is one of my, you know, life goals Yeah, is, is to shoot 150 inch deer. And, you know, it comes short about 15 inches. So I, I, I have, I have more work to do. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's just one of those ones that, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I've learned what I've learned. You know, yep. I, I have a, a fantasy of thinking that I'm starting to think, figure things out, uh, probably haven't even scratched the surface. Um, but you know, along with killing 150 inch deer, the other goal is to be able to kill good deer more consistently, Yep. you know, and, and I, I think I'm one at least a de- you know, decent track for that, you know, and. Then I start worrying about, you know, the rest of the family, you know, getting my brother one, getting summer one, you know, which I don't usually have to help her too much. She, she does pretty good on her own, you know? And yeah. I said, it's just, that's what I do. I either fight fires or I'm hunting. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Well, it sounds like you've got a great setup up there. It sounds like you're figuring all this stuff out and I really appreciate you hopping on and sharing your story, sharing your learning lessons, what you're changing, what you're doing now. Um, it was a great episode, man. And so thanks for hopping on. Oh, absolutely. I, I really appreciate you having me on and let me ramble on for a little bit. It's nice, nice talking hunting with you know somebody new and somebody with a different perspective. Absolutely, man. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. Man, talk about passion and excitement and desire to continue to learn and educate yourself about the animals that we chase and about techniques and strategies for doing that. And I mean, it's been working out like success up in Pennsylvania, a monster buck down. And it's so cool to just hear from somebody else's perspective 
their their whole journey chasing after a deer the hunt start to finish all of the different opportunities and encounters and then that camaraderie between the family it's just a cool cool deal i hope that you guys have that type of hunting community around you or that group of friends or a spouse that you call right away when you shoot a big buck or you know have a killer day out on the water and there's nothing like it so at this point i think most seasons are completely wrapped up or maybe maybe there's another week or so left i'm not totally sure um either way get out there guys because there's there's new opportunities even when one season ends a new season's about to begin typically you know there's still fishing opportunities turkey season isn't that far off shed hunting there's there's some big bucks in different parts of the country that are already dropping antlers and i'm sure there's elk and muleys and stuff like that too but um yeah you know what i always say until next time always choose adventure and god bless